The Thundermen work with the centaurs to find a solution to the apple issue. They encounter a spirit and make a bad first impression. Also, they eat some road snacks. A question gets resolved. The Fearbulg makes a sacrifice. Nobody trusts the wizard. It's a pretty solid day of adventuring. That is, right up until the end. We listen to episode 14 of Taz Graduation, so you know what that means. It's time for Talking Taz. Hello everyone and welcome back to Talking Taz, your weekly journey through the worlds of the Adventure Zone graduation. With you as always is me, your host and producer PJ, and with me as always is my lovely co-host, Lauren. Hello everyone. Lauren, what'd you think of this episode? I am getting really into this like centaur try to find the apple thing because it's becoming sort of like a puzzle, but they went in this episode in a completely different direction than I thought they were going to, so it kind of like threw me off. Where did you think they were going to go? I thought they were going to do more strategic planning and like meet up with both centaur herds or something like that. And they just like, they kind of talked to their centaur herd, but then straight up just went off the rails. Strategic planning with these boys? No way. Yeah, that's fair. Oh, uh, God. But let's just jump into it then. The boys start off with a beautiful little jingle as Clint warms up his dice. I do the same thing. You do the same thing. We both do the same thing. You got to warm up your dice. Yeah. You, know, you got to respect your dice. Always. Though this does lead to Griffin asking who's playing with some bones. And Travis says that it sounds like someone's scrying over there. <laughs> Justin says he doesn't even understand why Clint is warming up his dice because it's not like they even used their dice last episode, which made me realize there were next to no rolls last time. This, I mean, I know it didn't last long, but they did have combat. Listen, some of my favorite episodes are with minimal dice rolls so well, travis does get into them about it where he's like oh i'm sorry that i like story and progression next time it'll just be a bunch of axe swings <laughs> yeah travis you tell him and griffin says he wants to fight a dragon get some bebs get some gold and buy a house and i was like same but i'll never buy a house and i'll never get bebs or gold <laughs> or fight a dragon so i just you know we none of us get to be happy nobody gets what they want travis offers up instead fighting bebs buying dragons and buying gold, to which Griffin accepts. Yeah, you you could feasibly do all those things. You can, I could fight a bunch of bebs. I wouldn't want to, but I could. And you could buy, not a real dragon, but... I could buy a bunch of fake dragons. You could. I could be one of those guys that just has like a weird, like, mystical dragon collection and like a lot of incense because they always have a lot of incense. They do. It's like a requirement. The boys are working with the centaurs of the Scarlet Woods. Fearbulg asks what they would consider a success, as small businesses must understand the needs of their client. Travis admits he doesn't remember if the voice he's using for Malwin is correct, but it is now, and Griffin sings a beautiful and amazing song about being a DM. Did, did it hit you different being oh, a DM? Oh, I mean, it's, it was true, you know? At the end of the day, you might be wrong, but you're the DM, so you're right. Always. They say their goal is to burn the apple to appease the spirit, but clarify their goal is really just appeasing the spirit, and they aren't sure what else could accomplish this besides burning the apple. Fitzroy asks if perhaps a 50% rebate mail-in coupon for a year-long subscription to Boy Cloak's magazine would suffice. <laughs> and Malwin says the spirit could probably just read the magazine whenever he wanted, but he's not sure. Which is true. Yeah, if you're a god, I guess you can read whatever magazine you want, subscription or not. And... Choosy gods choose Boy Cloaks magazine. That's what I've always heard. Choosy moms choose Jif and choosy gods choose Boy Cloaks. So we've gotten a couple of different titles for it. So it's Boy Cloaks magazine and Boy Cloaks quarterly. It's Boy Cloaks quarterly, but 
you know, for for the plebes, it's just Boy Cloaks magazine. They don't know that it comes out quarterly. They just know it's there in their barbershop. <laughs> <laughs> or in the would it be in a doctor's office with highlights? There you go. Well, no, it's too good for a doctor's office. It's only in a barbershop. It's only in barbershops and uh, clothiers. Ooh. Well, no wonder I've never seen it. There you go. Fitz wants to continue exploring non-Apple solutions for both groups. Malwin isn't having any of it, saying that that's not really an option and they can't afford to experiment with their lives, which is understandable. Yeah. Fearable clarifies that what Fitz is trying to say is that what Malwin wants is hard, so maybe they can convince him to do something easier, that'd be a good thing. <laughs> and Malwin understood that, and Fitz says um, that that kind of casts them in a bad light, and that's why he didn't say that. So the Fearbug apologizes. Oh, little Fearbug. He's trying. <laughs> yeah, he is. Misguided as he is. Fitzroy offers explaining their situation to the spirit, and Malwin says if they can convince the spirit to move forward without the offering, that would be amazing. Fitz asks if he needs to knock on a magic tree or ritually murder someone to communicate with the spirit, though he does say he's not that cool with a ritual murder until Argo does remind him that they did already kill someone, referring to the satyr from last episode. They did. It wasn't a ritual killing, though. That's true. Ritual sacrifice and murder are completely different things. Completely different things, kids. Take note. Malwin lets him know the Scarlet Woods is a three-hour ride away, and Fitzroy asks if he means by horseback, which for Fitzroy it would. They are reminded that they didn't bring their horses in fear of offending the centaur, and they left them at a rental post just outside the forest. They go off on a bit about how in the Old West, people would just leave their horses everywhere and take any horse they found. (laughs) I'm just going to take this horse. (laughs) Yeah. You know, as someone that uh, obviously didn't live in the Wild West but plays a lot of Red Dead Redemption, you do have to hitch them properly. You but you do. also realistically could take anyone's horse. But that's just like, it's because it's like a car with no key. You heard it here first, folks. Horses are just cars without keys. <laughs> if it wasn't for the mythical keys on Van Nuys, we would still all just have horses. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that there and we're gonna move on (laughs) (laughs) malwin offers some of their horses as they have them for moving cargo and equipment which okay so later on when these horses come back up i'm jumping ahead a little bit here that's okay justin's like wait what are the ethics here like they are half horse but they have horses and travis is like well i guess you made a lot of assumptions about centaurs and their ideologies which i call foul on because last episode Travis was the one that told them that centaurs would be offended by horses. Yeah, they had absolutely no say in it. Travis was narrating and saying, you guys left your horses at this place for fear of offending the centaurs. And that's when they got the great like cat dog bit where Clint was like, well, which half would be offended? So I call shade. Travis made that decision for them. Yeah, I know we're jumping ahead on that, but just letting you all know I'm mad. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I was too. When, when Travis was like, you made a lot of assumptions. I was like, excuse me, sir, you made assumptions for them. But you know what? They they take like two to three weeks in between recording, so he legitimately probably forgot. Yeah, that's true. Althea stands as the boys seem to have everything in order and lets them know where she is staying just in case they need anything. Fearbolg asks to speak to Althea privately, and Argo asks to be sure that that's a good idea since he can't lie, and Fearbolg says he won't need to lie. We are left wondering here what Fearbolg's relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is like <coughs> as he makes his way into Althea's tent. <laughs> Not even fantasy Jesus Christ. Like, apparently he transcends fantasy <laughs> and the real world. Yeah. 
Justin does let us know that Fearbogs worship Grand Peak Smasher, mm. uh, which did you understand the joke they were making about this? Absolutely not. Of course I didn't. Clint says, I heard he used to play for the New England Patriots. And it's because the Patriots used to have this player called whose last name was Gronkowski and everyone called him the Gronk. Oh. So when the God's name is Grand, he was just making a joke about that. See, that's like, I don't understand a lot about pop culture in general, but then you throw in like sports and I'm like, super lost this is no tea no shade i don't imagine there's like the biggest intersection between like nfl fans and like dnd live play fans yeah no i don't think that's to your shade i just don't think sports and dnd tend to overlap very much i mean everyone always says that fantasy football is like dnd for sports people which i have friends that do both and they've told me that that's inaccurate but then again they've also sometimes told me that it is accurate i don't know i follow sports so that i know what's going on and i can have like conversation about it i have absolutely no idea about the sports world and just pretend like i agree with whoever's <laughs> talking at the time we do have friends that are super into sports. So honestly, a lot of our friends that we play D&D with are really into sports. Three out of the six of our group, yeah. actually, are yeah. pretty actively involved in at least one sport, if not multiple. So, you know, it's a toss-up. People contain multitudes. People are complicated. They're like onions. There's multi-layers. Thank you, Shrek. Thank you, Shrek. Fearbug talks to Althea and asks her directly if she heard their conversation with Higglemas. As last episode, he realized that his bug was still on throughout the big revelation, mm -hmm. which had us stressed out. Super stressed out. However, that stress was unfounded. As she says no, Fearbug can tell she is being sincere. She says the bug is functioning and the data it has recorded is in her crystal, but she would not watch any of it without Fearbulk's permission as that would be an invasion of privacy. And immediately I was like, any suspicion I still had about Althea is gone. Oh, yeah, no, we, we stan Althea. She is. We stan Althea song. Ugh, she's quality. Fearbog asks for the crystal and she hands it over. No fuss, no muss. She does ask him, though, if there's anything he wants to tell her. And she is mindful not to put him in a position where he has to tell the truth, which, again, Ugh. we stan Althea. We stan Althea. He says no, and Althea reminds him she is here for him and wants to be seen as a friend. He says friendship is earned, but giving him the crystal is a good first step. Fearbulg asks Althea if she has any advice on their mission, and she says to focus on the outcome the leaders want, not the actions they think are necessary to get there, and work backwards from there, which is solid advice. Oh, yeah, that's As great. someone who has, in previous leadership positions, had to try to make substantial change. Yes, it's really good advice to look at it from different points of view, and like, this is what I want, and work backwards from there instead of, you know, yeah. I agree with you. I agree with Althea. Yeah. I think one of the most important pieces of advice I've ever been given and that I've since given to a lot of people is if you can't figure out how to help someone, literally just stop and ask them what they want to get out of this. Nine yeah. times out of 10, they'll tell you. And it makes your job a lot easier because then you have a very, very clear goal in mind. Mm -hmm. He thanks her for the sound advice and says he hopes to be as helpful when he is as high status as she is and helping build the next generation of entrepreneurs. I love Justin's voice work. When so good. Entrepreneurs. <laughs> and he always gets like so loud and so intense whenever he's talking about like business. <laughs> it's so funny. So good. Althea asks if he needs anything else. And he asks if she has a magical apple. <laughs> she says she doesn't. Beerbog wonders what has happened to the seeds of the previous apples. Althea does not know, but Travis does, as clarified by Justin. He even has written down in his notes. This is where Justin asks about the, the, the apple. 
and the seeds. Do you have that in your DM notebook? This is where my players will do this stupid thing. Anything you've ever done was pre-planned. You're all just a part of my machinations. Wow, I'm I'm not even like intimidated. I'm just impressed. Yeah, you should be intimidated. I mean, I'm still not because that's just really impressive that you know our characters and us so well that you predict everything we do. But oh, look, I have it here in my notes. Lauren will not be intimidated, but will be impressed. I guess I did have this plan too. <laughs> the world is my oyster. And you are all mere pawns in my play. If the world was your oyster, you love oysters. Would you just eat it? Damn, this is a hard question. Because I do like the existence of a world, but I also really like oysters. You do. Is it oysters or oysters? I don't know. Let's call the whole podcast <laughs> off. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Beerbook says he can barely understand his roommates, let alone these centaurs, and asks Althea if she can give him some information on them. She lets him know that there was a time when Malwin and Arturus were engaged to be wed, and it did not go well. Shook. Shooketh. And neither was willing to cede leadership to the other. Beerbook asks if she's sure she doesn't have a second apple, as the interpersonal issues she has presented are better suited for human resources. <laughs> she says to confer with his CEO and CCO to strategize. Which, did I miss Argo officially being promoted to CCO? I think it was something they, like, talked about. And they then... joked about it, but they were kind of like, yeah, I don't know if we can do that for you. Like, they were making all of those jokes. I don't remember him ever actually officially becoming CCO. But throughout this entire episode, they're like, yeah, he's our CCO. And I was like, when did that happen? I think, yeah, I don't think there was any, like, ceremony or, like, a grand official naming. But I think as soon as Argo said it, they were like, oh, ha ha. But then all took it seriously and moved forward. Yeah. Althea offers that if he's looking for insight into the magic, he may want to speak to Calhane. Beerbulk takes this to mean that Calhane has the second apple and calls to Argo to say he has solved the case. <laughs> Argo responds, saying he is proud and that he is a good Fearbulk. The The McElroys have done this in the past where they like have these weird side conversations with each other. Justin well, just started screaming for good Clint. Improv. Yeah, and it's... Yeah. <laughs> he keeps going. He's like, arrest him! And they keep going, and Althea is, keeps trying to interrupt, and they're just not letting her. And he thanks her for her service and gives her a comment card until Althea finally gets a word in and says Calhane is just Malwin's magical advisor. The Fearbulg then instructs Argo to release Calhane, and he says it was just a prank. Calhane, with Travis unknowing that this was going to occur, is being voiced by Griffin for a moment here. He is... <laughs> And he says, it's just fine. Oh my god. <laughs> Obviously, this entire interaction is, it's like Schrodinger's bit. It's somehow semi-canon and not canon all at the same time. <laughs> because, like, clearly the conversation with Althea is happening for real. Right. But this bit is invalidated later in the episode. Obviously, should be invalidated by the fact that Griffin jokingly plays one of the NPCs, but... Yes, and like when we eventually do come across Calhane, there's like the whole formal introduction thing. Yeah. So like clearly they didn't arrest him, but I like to think in another universe they did. <laughs> Argo is confused as to why they're only looking for one additional apple when they need three, one for each tribe and one for Higglemas. And I was like, Argo, you poor sweet thing, you are misunderstanding the situation. Super misunderstanding it. You're not going to find more apples. Yeah. Fitzroy tells Argo he'd like him to steal the apple without it being noticed, and ideally... They've come up with successful alternative solutions, so it won't even be on the minds of any of the tribes. Fearbulg returns from his meeting with Althea, and they decide they should go speak to the Spirit of the Scarlet Woods directly. 
They saddle up and get ready to hit the road together because these pepperoni pretzel combos aren't going to eat themselves. And now I know what combos are. You do. We need to get you some combos and have you review them on the podcast. I would be super, super down for that because I've clearly never had them before. Yeah, they're delicious. Well, you know what? It's subjective. You might hate them, but just know they're phenomenal road trip food. I am still super down to try them. This is where they threw me off, by the way. The boys, when they were like, oh, we're talking to like Althea about these different apples and like trying to figure out what the herds want because it's about pleasing them at the end of the day, not necessarily about the apple itself. And then they were like, we're going to go talk to a god. And I was like, well, I don't hate that idea, but I didn't see it coming. Really? Because that was my first thought when they were like, well, it's about appeasing the spirit of the woods. My first thought was like, all right, well, we need to find out how to do that otherwise. And the best way to do that is to ask the god. Oh, no, I I would have like asked like a shaman or something. I would never have thought to go directly to the source, which I guess is more of a comment on me than anything. Just uh, two different kinds of players, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Clint does make the astute observation, though, that centaurs are the ultimate combo. Happy holidays, everyone. It's me, PJ, your festive friend, thanking you as always for tuning into our podcast. It's hard to discuss this episode in Interstitial because it's Christmas Eve. We here at Talking Taz want to wish all our listeners a happy and safe holiday season. Whether you celebrate Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Saturnalia, or anything else, good tidings we bring. So don't miss them by keeping up with us on social media. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Talking Taz or by searching for Talking Taz Podcast. Or go to our website, talking-taz.pinecast.co for links to those socials as well as all of our episodes. If you're enjoying the show, tell your friends about it and leave a review on iTunes. It really does help and would be the perfect gift for us. No major notes from this episode, but we have a question as always. Last week, we left you with a question about favorite road trip snacks, and the general consensus seems to be cheesy and salty are the way to go, not sweet. This week, we'll go back to D&D, though with a special holiday twist. In honor of the holidays, have you ever run or played in a holiday setting or one-shot? Has your DM pitted you against the gruesome Grinch? Were you tasked with delivering gifts to all the good gnomes and gnolls? We'd love to hear all about it. Once again, we here at Talking Taz wish you a happy and safe holiday season. And for those of you that celebrate the Christmas holiday, Merry Christmas Eve and a Merry Christmas to you tomorrow. Thank you all for listening this year. And we really appreciate you all. Thank you so much. And now back to the podcast. First light, they head out on the horses they borrowed from the centaurs, which this is where they have the ethics question, and I've already talked ad nauseum about how much I hated it. Yeah, Travis, you're wrong. They ride out with epic description from Travis and mediocre fully work from Clint. (laughs) They arrive at the spot and see the bull where the apple is sacrificed. Fearbulg investigates, uh, which they joke is a a 140 because hashtag common core. Oh my god. (laughs) I hate Common Core math. Uh, This is not to go on a tangent about this, but I hate Common Core math. It doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make a single lick of sense. No. Why did you change math? We have a friend that's like, oh, yeah, that's how I've always done math in my head. And I'm like, so because you were wrong, it's okay. (laughs) It's not okay for the rest of us. (laughs) However, there is not much to gather as the last sacrifice was a year ago. But they detect magic. Not much is gained either. Fitzroy just calls to the woods, and Argo rolls a nat 20 on perception, so he can see straight around the globe to his own back. Very impressive. 
They all rolled well and notice a change in the atmosphere as the wind picks up. Argo, however, notices a voice on the breeze say yes. And after addressing the voice, the spirit of the Scarlet Woods makes its presence known. Fitzroy offers the combos to the spirit in lieu of the apple, and Fitz and Argo take psychic damage as the spirit rebuffs this offer. Well, maybe now I don't want to try combos, because the spirit of the Scarlet Woods was like, hell no. Well, unless you're trying to eat these combos as a sacrifice, I think you'll be fine. Maybe they will be a sacrifice. Maybe I'm a god. You don't know. I feel like I'm like 23% positive you're not a god. It's very ambitious of you. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hedging my bets pretty low. It's only 23%. That's still pretty ambitious. You could be like, you could be like one of like the boring gods from American gods. Whoa. Whoa. Okay, listen, I'm not... Who was the Irish one? Sweeney. I was about to say Mad Sweeney. Yeah, Mad Sweeney. He was kind of lame. <laughs> He's just in a bar getting drunk all the time. And like pulling, people. And pulling gold from nowhere. Oh, God. Yeah, that's uh, you're you're one of the old gods like losing relevance. So like you choose to just like stay at home and read books all the time to like try to keep some sense of my my powers and who exactly. I am. Exactly. Mm. So I don't know. We'll see. Hashtag is Lauren a god? Baby, give me some combos. <laughs> we'll find out. The Fearbog apologizes for his friends and admires the spirit for disciplining them. The Fearbog asks the spirit what he will accept instead of the apple. The spirit asks what they are willing to give for an answer. The Fearbog offers berries, but the spirit demands sacrifice of something they are not easily willing to give. The spirit asks for the truth as a sacrifice. Yikes. Yikes. The Fearbog agrees, but clarifies he will give him his own truth, but not the truth of others. And the spirit agrees. I loved that. That was so pure. Yeah. Fearbog feels the pressure as he sees a vision of his past, of being yelled at for having things he isn't supposed to, and of having his clan turn their backs on him. Which is our first hint at the Fearbog's actual backstory. Yeah, it is. Like, the real thing. Which I'm curious what it was. Like, do we think he stole something? It's because it was something he, he wasn't, wasn't supposed, supposed to have. have. I don't see him as a thief, though. What if, what if it was, like, what if it was, like, this is going to be, like, a stretch. What if it was, like, <laughs> like a book? Like, I don't know. Like, oh, uh, in, like, Fahrenheit 451 Society. <laughs> And he has, like, a book? Well, I mean, they've said before that, like, Fearbogs tend to not, like, leave their clan or, like, go to school. So maybe it was something, like, knowledge-based where he came across something that a traveler left behind and yeah. had it. And I then... could be it's something, I could see it being something mostly, like, that is okay societally for us, but it's not okay societally for Fearbogs. Like, I don't think he would do something wrong, but it may be wrong for Fearbog specifically. Yeah, I agree with that because I really don't see him as a bad guy. He no. doesn't look like a thief. He doesn't seem like someone that's like, I'm going to steal the rations of someone else. Unless we have like this super tragic backstory where like he was like a poor Fearbulg. But based on the fact that the Fearbulgs are like very clan mentality, I don't think that would be a thing. Yeah, because the, the clan would, like, take care of, of each, each other. other. Yeah, they're like the purest form of communism. And like yeah. they would never they would never let someone else, you know, suffer. We'll see. I'm curious, but I'm glad we're starting to get some some breadcrumbs here. Yeah, I mean, we have Fitzroy's. We have a little bit of all of them now with yeah. Shabri, and then we have Fitzroy's family isn't really rich, and now the Fearbulg did something wrong. Yeah, the Fearbulg realizes he too is now on his knees, and also now has the answer to his question. The spirit wants true sacrifice. The harder it is to give something up, the more it is appeased. It's not about the giving; it's about the giving up. 
The spirit agrees to keep the Fearbulk's truth to itself as a Thunderman sidebar. Fearbulk explains the motives of the spirit and realizes the centaurs need to be the ones to make the sacrifice, not them. Additionally, the sacrifice of a rare item that grows only once a year would be hard to match. Mm. But Fitzroy's 50 feet of hemp and rope might just do the trick. As it is hard to find a 50, you usually just find 40s or 60. Yeah. But then but he... we get the tragic yeah. realization that it isn't a naturally 50 foot rope. It is only a 60 that he could 10 feet off of to make a bunch of webbed belts. Yep. When those were in fashion. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't expecting backstory of the hemp and rope, but like I feel so much more complete now that I have you it. You know, like it's like it's so token esque, you know, like token will write like uh, 140 pages on like a song. <laughs> Mm-hmm, and Jermaine mm-hmm. will write a page on hemp and rope. That's so beautiful. Fairbear may have a speech that goes on for like a chapter and a half, but we have the page on hemp and rope in Jermaine's novel and like what really matters here. That's true friendship. <laughs> <laughs> the boys head back and arrive in the afternoon. They head to Calhane's tent and see it as a sick magical tent. It's got potions and pewter figurines. It's awesome. Do you think he's one of those dragon boys that has like incense oh, burning? 100%. And- Three thousand percent. Wow, three thousand percent. Calhane's cloak game is pretty good at first, but then you realize it's like off the rack, and that disgusts Fitzroy. Doesn't he like throw up or something? He says he's gonna throw up. Okay, he's gonna. Argo asks Calhane if he's been able to find out why there's only been one apple this year. He says there is no magical cause, and he has no clue. He seems uncomfortable not being able to figure this out. Fitzroy asks if he has any theories. And he confides in them that he honestly is completely out of his element and knows next to nothing. Which, for a magical advisor, that like doesn't inspire a lot of like goodwill and hope. We learn pretty shortly as to why. Yeah. He asks if they'd like to compare notes, and Fitz says no, because, I mean, honestly, the vibe's all wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He appreciates the honesty. Argo begins to stealth into the background as Fearbulg asks a question. He asks if the tree ever changes, and Calhane does have an answer. And throughout history, the tree has been depicted the exact same way. It seems like it's never grown, never changed, and to an extent, like it almost exists solely to deliver apples once a year. Fitzroy is confused as to how that's different from any other apple tree, and Fearboat clarifies that trees, like all life, have a cycle, and that this tree somehow exists outside of that cycle, which frightens him. I will say, we have talked before about how impressed we are with how much the Fearbulg is growing in his uh, business acumen. But Justin not only studied up on the economy, he knows a lot about nature. Yeah. I mean, always, always good stuff. Argo is investigating and notices that all of Calhane's equipment was purchased from the school. Mm-hmm. Calhane graduated as a hero, he says, 10 years ago, and was a former student of Festo's. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? A lot of the heroes Yeah, I would imagine most magical like wizards and stuff are Festo students. Yeah. He says he'll do anything to help a fellow Wiggy, which he admits he was just kind of testing out. That's not an official name for the students at Wiggin Staffs. Yeah, I, I hated that. <laughs> I liked it. No. <laughs> you don't want to be a Wiggy? We're all Wiggies. That's going to be our fan base if we ever get them. They're going to be the Wiggies. They're going to be the Wiggies? No, oh. then, because then when we move on to another arc, it wouldn't make any sense. You're not the Wiggies. You can't, I know. Yeah, we, we can't have you guys be the Wiggies for multiple reasons. No, one of them is not that it is a bad name because it is an amazing name. No, I think that is, I think that's 100% the reason. Agree that you're wrong and we'll move on. And <gasps> Fitzroy still doesn't trust him, so he attempts to intimidate Calhane. 
He threatens to hurt him as Argo twirls the dagger and rolls a 23 on Intimidation, which is super high. Dang, yeah. I was so impressed. This gets Calhane to admit that he was actually a sidekick, not a hero. And to be honest, he couldn't get a job. And he's actually not super good with magic. So he kind of just lied his way through, said he was a hero, said he was good with magic, and got employed here as a magical advisor. He's been doing the best he can, but honestly, he doesn't know much. See, this is what happens when you lie on your resume. You know, people always say, I'll just figure it out. I'll just figure it out. But sometimes there's just things you can't figure out. There are. Like, listen, if you are going to lie in an interview or on your resume, it has to be little things. It can't be like, I was a hero when really you were a sidekick. Yeah, like, you can't say that you, like, went to Harvard on your resume. Like, people will find out that that's a lie. But, like, say that, like, I don't know, you won a, like, unimportant award for, like, the field you're going into at your college. Mm -hmm. That's fine. No one's going to look that up. Yeah. Make sure that you can back it up. Yeah. Go to a trophy shop. Get 12 trophies made. And then always have one to show people because you're so proud of this accomplishment. I have a trophy that says PJ, best at Excel. PJ best at Word, PJ best at Photoshop, PJ best at, and it just goes on and on and on. You can have as many trophies as you, as if you have the trophy, you won the award. I bring the trophy box to every interview I have. He does. I've and they're always like, it. what's that box? And I'm like, this, this is my trophy box. And they're like, well, you're hired. I'm like, you don't want to look at the trophies. They're like, why would you carry around a trophy box if it was fake trophies? And I'm like, ah, you stupid idiots. <laughs> and they're like, did you just call us stupid idiots? And I'm like, trophies? And they're like, you're hired. Yeah. He, then he opens the box and lets them like see glimpses of them. And they're like, well, no, I don't. Honestly. You don't? Because that would Honestly, be- just buy the trophy box. People are so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Get a trophy box, kids. Everyone, everyone buy your patented PJ trophy boxes. TM, TM, TM. Argo tosses his dagger in the air to hopefully continue intimidating him. And he catches it and then like picks his nails with it. Super cool. Super roguey. And he does it amazingly and flawlessly because he rolls a nat 20, even though he only had to roll the nat 20 because they were kind of like, oh, really? It's cool. Roll a dex check. And he succeeded the hell out of it. The hell out of it. Calhane says he doesn't think the tree only sprouted one apple naturally, and he suspects foul play. They ask who would benefit from discord among the tribes. He says Arturus may be trying to incite a war between them. Fearbulk says if it's a war he wants, it's a war they'll work to prevent. Which I love that little subversion there. Yeah. They languish in the fact that Calhane doesn't know anything, before Argo has an unspoken realization and rushes them all out. Outside, he says the answer has to be to get Malwin and Arturus back together. Fitzroy says they're not really marriage counselors, and Argo says they're flexible and diverse here at Thunderman LLC. Wow, that is very diverse. Not only are they going to help, you know, ease conflict, they're going to help get you back together with your estranged loved one. Fearbulk says he loves the sloganing, but to leave that talk to the communications department. Argo reminds him that he is a communications department, as Fearbulk apologizes and says he will unfortunately have to put this down in his own quarterly review. (laughs) Althea stumbles upon the boys and asks them if they'd like to join her for dinner. Fitzroy asks what they'll be having as he's doing paleo. <laughs> Stupid Fitzroy. <laughs> I hate it. And suddenly, Fitzroy's chest feels tight and weighted. Ugh. He thinks this is just a side effect of the paleo. Mm-hmm. Which, like, honestly, this is a side note. Paleo's, like, not that great for you. <laughs> yeah. I've read a lot of studies about it. It's, it's good for, like, shedding weight. It's not good for your health. <laughs> And, like, it's not about what you weigh, kids. It's about being healthy. Yes. 
but then his vision goes white. He thinks he may be having a heart attack before Althea checks him out and realizes he's been cursed. Oh my god! I was like, oh god, who cursed him? Who like, was it the spirit of the woods? Was it whoever is trying to, like, subvert the apples? Like, I mean, what, what's going on? I mean, listen, I, I have a soft spot for Fitzroy, but I know he, like, comes across as pretty arrogant and, like, kind of an ass. So the list is long. Do you think it, like, Calhane's the only magical advisor. Do centaurs use magic? We don't know who's doing anything, right? Because, I mean, I feel like Calhane is probably a safe bet to cut out. Mm. Because, I mean, they rolled a 23 intimidation on him. Yeah, he was pretty scared. And he didn't really give much in terms of, like, maybe I'm the bad guy or anything, you know? Yeah, that's true. He was just... I I think it's got to be someone else. Like, I think, think, honestly, they're going to find someone in the centers of the valley is probably where we're going to be headed. It's going to be over into the other camp. Either that or even it might have been the spirit of the woods. Like, we honestly don't know. I mean, he did try to offer up combos and then, like, got knocked down because yeah. the spirit was pissed. But I don't know. I, I thought the spirit was okay. They seemed to, they let them leave. I don't know. We'll just have to wait till next week to find out I'm because so that is all out. we have no. for this week. I can't believe, I mean, I can't believe they left it at that, but I'm so sad. I want to know what's going on. So do I. And if you do too, make sure you join us again next week. I've been PJ. I've been Lauren. And we'll see you next Thursday when we are once again talking Taz. Taz.